Greetings, and welcome to Bethel's online Simply the Sermon Worship. I'm glad you're joining me wherever and whenever you're taking the time to listen to this. I'm intern pastor Monica Holman, and I'd like to wish you a happy new year. No, I don't have my weeks mixed up with January 1st. Today is the first of Advent, which marks the beginning of a new church year. Now, if you are somebody that follows the lectionary, which is the order of readings that most mainline churches follow over a three-year cycle, you will notice that throughout Advent this year, we'll be taking a detour from the lectionary. Here at Bethel, we will be following Advent resources provided by A Sanctified Art, which follow the theme of From Generation to Generation. So, leading up to Christmas, we'll be taking the time to tell some stories and reflect on where we come from in order to think about where we're going. And on that note, our gospel reading today is a bit of a hike. I'll be reading from the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, which will basically be a couple of minutes of me just reading a bunch of names. So hopefully you won't fall asleep, but if you do, I won't tell. I do invite you though to make sure you're somewhere comfortable and just let the names pass through your ears. Listen for any that you recognize. Most of them you probably won't, but you might be surprised that more than one name might conjure up some memory for you. Okay? All right. Then here we go. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew, the first chapter. A book of the origin of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. 
and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. The word of the Lord. Now the may, may the grace and peace of God be with you today, wherever you are. So, now that we went through that whole list, were there any that you recognized? Maybe you remembered some old Sunday school stories from your childhood. Or maybe there were names of people that you've known in your life. Most people might know a David or a Jacob. Those are pretty common ones. I have yet to come across a Zerubbabel, but hey, there's still time. You never know. Maybe to some of you, some of these names sound so familiar that this list feels like a part of your own family story. Or maybe you didn't recognize more than one or two. That's okay. If that's you, I'm glad you're hearing them now. And you may be thinking, what a weird thing to preach about. Why did this intern just make you sit through a long list of names that never seem to end? Good question. This was definitely not my first choice of passage. But you would be just as well to pose that question to the writer of the book of Matthew, who chose to start his gospel this way or to whoever decided to put Matthew's gospel first. After all, that list makes up the very beginning of the New Testament, the very first thing you'd come across if you were to just open to the first gospel and start reading. And I don't know about you, but maybe if it were up to me, I would have chosen any of the other gospels as better openers to the story of Jesus. Like maybe Mark's, which was written first, or Luke's with the beautiful story of the Nativity. Or maybe not, maybe not. Because names, after all, have purpose. Now, I'm going to take a little detour right now and introduce you to another name. I'll explain why in a little bit, but just allow me this tangent for just a minute. The person I want to introduce you to was named Maria Leonarda, Sister Maria Leonarda, to be precise. Sister Maria Leonarda was born in Dusseldorf, Germany in 1891, the oldest of eight children. During the First World War, she volunteered as a nurse, caring for the wounded and broken alongside a group of nuns. She fell in love with a man who married someone else. And though her father believed a girl as beautiful as she would marry and have children, her mother helped her secretly save money. And in 1916, she stole away and joined the Dominican order, taking her vows a year later to become a nun. She spent eight years in Italy, learning and training in dentistry, until 1925 when she and a group of sisters were ordered to leave Italy to sail across the world to a place they'd never heard of called Mission San Jose in California, never to return to Europe never to see her beloved Italy again. She was devastated, but still she went and served faithfully beside her sisters as a dentist, a seamstress, a teacher, and even four years as mother superior before her death in 1983. So why on earth am I telling you about Sister Maria Leonarda? Well, I'm talking about her because I knew her by another name. I knew her by her birth name, Johanna Moyer, or, as I called her, Tante Johanna, Aunt Johanna, 
She was the oldest sister of my mother's father, and when my mother came to the United States at the age of 23, she didn't know anybody and she had nowhere to go. So, with her aunt's permission, she stayed at the convent in her mini skirts and her short hair in the 1960s until she found a job. And once my mother married and moved here permanently, Tante Johanna was the only local member of my mother's family in this country. Which means that in photographs of my earliest birthday parties, if you look hard enough, you'll see an elderly nun in full habit grinning somewhere in the background. Sister Maria Leonarda, or Johanna Moyer, is not a name that you will find in anybody's genealogical chart. As a nun, of course, she had no children, left no descendants. By all official statistics, her story ended upon her death in 1983. She was not an extraordinary woman either, just an ordinary one. But here I am, telling you about her, because I am here, and she helped shape me. And as I think we all know, genealogies and DNA tests may draw outlines of maps of families, but they don't supply any of the details or the colors of our histories. They don't tell our stories. So I just told you a story. And if I were to reduce this story to a list of characters, even though the main character of the story was my great aunt, you're also introduced to my great grandfather who expected his daughter to marry, my great grandmother who did not, my grandfather, her youngest brother, the Dominican nuns and priests who inspired her and served with her, the man who broke her heart, my mother who lived with her, and me. 92 years of love and life and hope of ordinary people with uncertain futures, some with strong faith and some with none, whittled down to a simple list. The beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is kind of like that. It is a full story, one that spans a thousand years, narrowed down to fit on a single page. This passage is not the only genealogy in the Bible. There's even another one for Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. Much time and energy and ink and paper has been spent trying to figure out why the genealogies of Matthew and Luke don't match and why neither of them follow other lists in the Old Testament, which also don't always agree with each other. But like most ancient genealogies, though, the intention of this list was not to describe an exact physical ancestry, but to place a person into a larger story, to frame them in the same picture as others who went before them. And to do that, every author makes choices about who and what to include, just as each of us has to decide which photos get to go in our family photo albums. Now, if any of you had your Bibles open when I started reading, I don't know if any of you did, but if you did, you might have noticed something. You might have noticed that I said something slightly different than what your Bible might have printed. The very first line in most translations reads something like an account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, whereas I said a book of the origin of Jesus the Messiah. Both of these are possible translations of the opening of the gospel, the two Greek words biblos geneseos, and please if you know Greek, please don't fault my pronunciation. But to call it an account of the genealogy is in my mind too literal too scientific to describe what Matthew is doing, because what Matthew is writing is an origin story, the origin story of Jesus. 
And Matthew opens with the same word used for the beginning of the Bible as a whole. He is writing about Genesis, origin, beginning, renewal, right away reminding us how all of God's story with us began, with care and creation, goodness and purpose, covenant and hope. Each name that Matthew includes tells a story, and when collected together, they weave a storyline of promise and failure, of faithfulness and doubt, of uncertainty and trust, of unconventional heroes who put their lives in the hands of God and who, in return, were saved and blessed by God. And it is quite a story. The names we just heard is filled with names from history, names from legend, names from the annals of kings, and names that appear nowhere else except for this passage. This long, seemingly boring list contains the story of empire, disgrace, war, exile, oppression, liberation, return, reclamation, and restoration. It includes the names of one king whose strength united a nation, and another whose love of power split it. A man who is praised for going when he was told, and a woman who refused to leave when dismissed. Men who were born into wealth and squandered it, and women with no power who demanded their rights. This is the story that God has written. This is the world that we too are born into. The world of wanderers, rulers, slaves, trade workers and landowners, patriarchs and foreigners, men and women, people of faith and people of doubt, people of humility and people of pride. None of those people in that list were the Messiah, the anointed one, the hoped for savior of the people until Jesus. And before Jesus, they lived their lives the best they could, carrying on the faith and the promises that were handed down from one generation to another, living, breathing, creating, destroying, but also waiting, probably a lot like us, not always sure that God was listening, often unclear on the path before them, but moving forward anyway. And when Jesus finally appears, this Messiah, this son of David, son of Abraham, the main character on the stage of all of history, we are reminded that through this entire storyline, there has been one God, one faithful God, taking both ordinary and extraordinary people and weaving together the strands of the story all along. If you didn't catch all of those details when I was reading through it, that's okay. There's probably just as much in your own history that you don't know about, but that doesn't mean it's not there just the same, winding its way through the lives of the people who helped mold you into who you are. Each of us has an origin story. You just heard part of mine, and I'd bet if we all sat together and shared, we'd come up with a lot of similar themes of promise and failure, of faithfulness and doubt, of unconventional heroes who put their lives in the hands of God and who in return were saved and blessed by God. So it is fitting that in this season of Advent, in this period of looking forward to waiting and expectation that we begin at the beginning, at the Genesis, at everything that came before and led up to now. And remind ourselves of the stories of God that have been told from generation to generation, of Abraham and David, of Tamar and Ruth, of my Tante Johanna or your great-grandfather, or the teacher who read to you, or the friend who encouraged you, 
or the pastor who welcomed you into the community of the church. If you don't know some of these names, I encourage you to learn about them because this list of names is more exciting than you may think. And as people of faith, they are part of our origin stories too. All of those people and moments and snapshots that combine to prepare us, those of us in this virtual space, as we live, breathe, hope, and just keep moving sometimes, not always sure what God has in mind for us, but willing to be a part of God's continuing purpose as we await the coming Messiah. Amen.